Just a couple more weeks and we'll be home for the holidays. Hey, this is our home, right? Leave and cleave, buddy. Well, yes, but the place you grew up will always be home, right? I'm not really attached to the place. Home is about the people. Speaking of which, I'm a little nervous spending Christmas with your family. Nervous? Why? I still feel like an outsider. Like you said, it's not really home to me. I'm not sure if I should wear my pajamas or leave my toothbrush in the sink. No, no, of course you should. Home is where you should be totally comfortable. Well, I'm having flashbacks to the year your mom put me on dish duty. Okay, yeah. I'll remind mom this year to give nicer tasks to the newer family members. Seriously, it was like hazing. I thought this year I could bake something. I will wow your family with my skills in the kitchen. Absolutely. What do you have in mind? I was thinking about my pie, the special one. What? Um, well, nothing. It's just... Run it by my mom first. She's really particular about her food. J just ask her. Okay, I will. We're really looking forward to it. Hey, uh, Jane, I, I mean mom. I'd love to bring something. I was thinking dessert. I make this chocolate cherry pie and Justin really likes it and... Oh, Maggie. Uh, it sounds lovely, but we have so much for dessert. I was hoping that you could bring some rolls. The store ones, the ready-made, three dozen will do it. Oh, uh, yeah, we could totally do that. But I'd love to bring something else if you need it too. No, 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 don't worry, don't worry. We are so looking forward to having you in our home. Right, your home. Erica Hunt, did you book your flights yet? I just want to get in my calendar. If it's the red eye, then we can go for pancakes, just like we do every year. Dad, I don't think I'm gonna make it home this year. Flights are crazy expensive and work is really busy lately. What? Look, if it's the money, your mom and I would be glad to help you pay for the airfare. No, it's not just the money. I just thought I would stay out here this year. Don't be ridiculous. Who'll turn on the Christmas lights at night for us? Christmas is when we all get together. Anyway, what are you going to do on Christmas if you're not here? Why shouldn't she be here? Is she seeing someone? Mom, I can hear you. That is exactly why... I just thought I would see some friends, sleep in, get some takeout. That doesn't sound like Christmas. Look, I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. I'll book the flights tonight and I'll forward you the confirmation, okay? Sure, Dad. Great. Justin? It's your sister. Answer it, please. Hey, Erica. It's Maggie, sorry. Oh, hey Maggie. How are you? Good. You? Great. When you when are you flying back? The 23rd. You sound thrilled. Yeah. To be honest, I wasn't planning on coming home this year, but my parents would not hear it. It'll be fun. I know it will. It's just... Home can sometimes feel like the place time stood still. You know? Sometimes in a good way, sometimes not. 
Well, your parents' home is still new to me. I'm still feeling really bad about getting your grandma that sweater last year. How was I supposed to know that she hates the color yellow? <laughs> yeah, well, at least you don't have to sit at the kids' table. Not married equals not an adult. You know, we don't even get real flatware. I am still cutting my meat with a plastic knife and fork. Ouch. Well, you're happy to take my seat at the grown-up table if you want. Your Aunt Diane is probably gonna call me Margie instead of Maggie and ask me again if pediatricians go to the same school as real doctors. Did she really? <sighs> Whoops. <laughs> well, you should come and sit with us at the kids' table. It's not all that bad. We are closer to the desserts. I'd love that. Save me a seat. Done. Speaking of desserts, I've been trying to offer your mom to make a dessert. I make this chocolate cherry pie and it's so great. And oh man, Maggie, I would not push it with my mom and the pies. She really sees that as her thing. We have had the same three pies every Christmas since the dawn of time. Home is where the pies don't change. So how are you feeling about going home for Christmas? Do the pies ever change in your family? Do they still treat you like a kid? Are you still just an in-law or an outlaw? <laughs> Some of us will be going home for Christmas and others maybe not. Some of us want to be home for Christmas and others aren't so sure. And a few probably aren't even sure where home is anymore. But as the drama suggests, there's nothing like Christmas to stir up all the deep longings and the deep disappointments we feel about home. And so this Christmas, we're going to be exploring what Christ's coming means to those disappointments and to those longings. Now, it's not really a series about family. It's a series about belonging and becoming. It's about finding a place in this world a people and a purpose, some place you call home. Now, we're certainly not the only ones who are going to be exploring this theme. There's all kinds of TV shows and music specials and Hollywood films that are telling stories about families and Christmas time. But I can assure you that none of them will have the kind of realism, the kind of honesty, the kind of wonder, the kind of hope and help that we find in the in the very first Christmas story found right here in the scriptures. So that's where we're headed for the next few weeks, right on through Christmas Eve and to Christmas Sunday. As we make this journey, you might be reminding yourself that, that everybody you know is feeling these same longings and disappointments this time of year. And so this could be a wonderful series to invite someone to on a Sunday or on Christmas Eve. So I encourage you to pick up some of those invitation cards on your way out and share them freely with folks in the weeks to come. Also want to let you know that our worship arts team actually wrote a song just for this series and turned it into a little music video. It's called Home Is Here, and you can find it on our Facebook page, on our Grace Chapel app, on the website. Uh, it's a great song, and I promise you listen to it once, and you'll be singing it all day long, okay? I can speak from experience. So let's begin today at the beginning of the Christmas story. And by that, I don't mean the stable in Bethlehem. I don't mean the Annunciation to Mary. I don't even mean the birth of John the Baptist to Zechariah and Elizabeth. I'm talking Abraham. I'm talking 2,000 years before Jesus was born. 
I'd like to take us this morning to the one Christmas passage you've probably never heard a sermon about, and with some good reason, perhaps. You'll see what I mean. It's found in Matthew chapter 1, the first 17 verses, Matthew chapter 1. So let's just take a look at the first few minutes, first few verses, and you'll see what I mean. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Uh-oh, you're probably thinking. He's not really going to do a sermon on the genealogy. So-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. That's the part you skip over. <laughs> Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Well, all right, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we get it. The big three, the patriarchs, they're important people. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez and Zerah, who are they? And Tamar, isn't she the one who seduced somebody or something like that? Where is this headed? Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. Hezron, Ram, Amminadab, who are these people? We've never heard these names before. How many names are there in this list? I thought it was going to be about Christmas. This is just the beginning. It goes on for 17 verses, 40-some names in this list. So I'll skip over the bulk of it, and let me jump for a minute to verse 17. Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. So why is this passage here? And at the very beginning of, of, of the gospel, at the beginning of the New Testament, don't they know this is why people don't read the Bible? You get into one chapter and you give up? Imagine an author sending a manuscript off to a publisher or, or a screenwriter pitching a movie to a Hollywood producer. Okay, I'm going to open with a list of obscure, unpronounceable names. <laughs> You're probably not going to get that contract. And yet, this is how Matthew chooses to begin his gospel. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he chooses to begin with a genealogy of Jesus. So there must be something important here, something Matthew wants us to understand. It seems as though we really can't understand the identity and the mission and the message of Jesus until we understand his family history. And of course, that's true for any one of us. We, we don't make this journey of life alone. We're connected to a whole network of people that we call family. We're, we're born into a family or we're adopted into a family. Sometimes we marry into another family. Sometimes two families are blended into one family. But, but from the moment we enter into this world, to the moment we leave this world, we are part of a web of people who are related by family. Even when families fall apart, even when they're separated by geography or, 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 or psychological distance, we're still connected to one another. Their decisions, their DNA affects us and our destiny. Emotionally, biologically, they've shaped who we are. 
I can trace this prominent nose back for generations in my household. Chances are you've done some investigating into your family tree. Maybe you've gone online to one of those websites that traces your ancestry. Maybe you have a family Bible at home with all kinds of names in it. Maybe you've sat with photo albums and asked, who's this and who's that and how are they related to who as you try to put it all together. And we do that because we realize that for better or for worse, we are shaped by who we come from, who our people are in this world. And the same thing was true of Jesus, who was not only the Son of God, but the son of Mary and Joseph and all kinds of people who came before them as well. So what do we learn about Jesus from this family tree? And what do we learn about our own homes from this passage? Well, the first thing we learn is that Jesus was of noble birth. Matthew makes that clear right from the start. Now remember, all the Gospels, each of the Gospels is written with a slightly different audience and different perspective in mind. Matthew is writing primarily for a Jewish audience. And so he wants his readers to understand right from the beginning the Jewishness of Jesus. And so he chooses two of the most notable names in, in Jewish history, Abraham and David. Think George Washington and Abe Lincoln and you get the idea. Now Abraham, of course, is the father of the nation. The man God called along with his wife, Sarah, the ones to whom he gave a promise that he would make them a great nation and bless them and bless the whole world through them. The father of the nation. David, of course, is the greatest king that Israel's ever known and the one whose descendant was promised to sit on the throne of Israel and the world someday. So by tracing Jesus' lineage back to these two figures... Matthew's letting us know that the Jewishness of Jesus and also his claim to the royal throne. But it turns out these aren't the only famous names here in this, in this family tree. Um, Jacob, we already read about. He's the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And we read about Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Now, Solomon was given the gift of wisdom, remember? He was the great builder of Israel who built the first temple, gave us the book of Proverbs and other writings from Scripture. Later, we read about Josiah, the father of Jeconiah. Josiah was a great reformer. In a time of apostasy, he led the people back to God. Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud. It was Zerubbabel who, along with Ezra, who led the people of Israel back from captivity in Babylon to, the, to Israel and to begin rebuilding the temple and the city. And so it goes, the lineage ends down in verse 16 with Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who was called Christ. So Jesus' immediate parents... Mary and Joseph may have been mere peasants in an occupied land. But Matthew wants us to know that royal blood flows through his veins and the Spirit's anointing trickles down to Jesus. There's something very empowering and ennobling about knowing our roots, our family history and the significant people who have helped shape who we are in this world. I was visiting with my parents just recently, and they have there in their little apartment a, 
a gigantic family Bible. I mean, it's huge. It's the size of a small suitcase. It's a, it's a Bible that belonged to my mother's ancestors, her Dutch ancestors back in Holland. It's hundreds of years old. And in the opening pages, there is recorded a list of names of my ancestors. Thomas Vanette, born April 5th, 1717. His wife, Alice, born that same year, 299 years ago. They had five daughters and a son named Benjamin. Benjamin married Rebecca, and they had a son born in the spring of 1776 while the Revolutionary War is breaking out here in America. They had six children, some of whom emigrated to the United States early in the 1800s, bringing with them this family Bible and that family tree. I mean, how cool is that? Those are my ancestors. What courage, what faith to have made that journey. So that's on my mother's side. I think I've told you before, on my father's side, we can also trace our lineage back to the early days of settling of this country in the American Revolution. And at one point, I discovered as a kid that I was related to Daniel Boone. I mean, Daniel Boone, if you're a kid, it does not get any better than that. <laughs> I've got a picture of my nine-year-old self down on one knee, coonskin hat, Kentucky long rifle pointed at some charging bear. I mean, I told all my friends, I'm related to Daniel Boone. It made me braver somehow, knowing that there's a woodsman's blood flowing through my veins. And no doubt you've got people like that in your family tree. Ancestors whose courage or faith or character or decisions have, have influenced who you are, your character, your faith, and your place in the world. You're somebody because you're connected to other people. And that's what Matthew's telling us here about Jesus of Nazareth. Don't underestimate his credentials, his pedigree, his legitimate claim to the throne of Israel. But now what happens when we discover things we'd rather not know about our ancestors? that we have some ne'er-do-wells in that family tree, that there are some irregularities in the bloodline. Well, it turns out there's quite a few of those in Jesus' family tree. For one thing, we find several women listed here in this genealogy. And that was very unusual for the time. A woman in that culture couldn't own property, couldn't inherit property generally. They weren't heads of households. And so if you were tracing a family tree, you, someone's lineage, you wouldn't mention the women in the story. Certainly you wouldn't if you wanted to elevate their status. But we find four women mentioned here in this genealogy. That doesn't even include Mary. But the interesting thing about these four women is that there's something scandalous about every one of them. First, we have Tamar, who we mentioned earlier. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. And Tamar, as we mentioned earlier, is infamous for having seduced her father-in-law, Judah, in order to bear a child. Now, what's so surprising is that Matthew didn't need to include her in the story. Remember, he's tracing the men here. But 
he mentions her as if to call attention to this unsavory aspect of Jesus' ancestry. Next we have Rahab. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute in the city of Jericho. She gave shelter to the Hebrew spies. And once again, Matthew doesn't need to mention Rahab's name, but he does and, and calls our attention to it. The next line reads, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. The surprising thing about Ruth is that she's not even Jewish. She was a Moabite and a widow, no less. She didn't even have a husband in her life. And she came wandering into Israel on the coattails of her mother-in-law, Naomi. And yet somehow, this Moabite becomes the grandmother to David, King David. And the final woman listed is so embarrassing, she isn't even named. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now, Uriah's wife, of course, was, was Bathsheba, the woman with whom David committed adultery, the one whose husband he arranged to have killed on the field of battle. Why are these names here? I mean, Matthew's not just bringing out the skeletons in Jesus' closet. He's rattling their bones as if he wants the whole world to hear. And it's not just these women. There's, there's all kinds of names here and a bunch of scoundrels in particular. Jacob may have been one of the patriarchs, but he was also widely known as a conniver and a schemer and a deceiver. Rehoboam was a cruel and reckless ruler who doubled the people's tax burden just because he could and wanted to show off his power. Ahaz was one of the worst kings Israel ever had, importing gods from other nations and forming alliances with them instead of trusting Yahweh. If there was any king who was worse than Ahaz, it was Manasseh, and he's listed too. He executed the prophets of God and sacrificed his own children to pagan deities. What are these people doing in the genealogy of Jesus, and why is Matthew calling our attention to them? We not only have women and scoundrels, we have outsiders. Rahab is a Canaanite. Ruth is a Moabite. Why are they tainting the bloodline of Israel's Messiah? And then what about all these nobodies? Who in the world is Nashon and Abiud and Eliud? We've never heard of these people. Their names don't appear anywhere else in Scripture. They don't do anything noteworthy other than to pass their genes and their fortunes along to their descendants. So what is Matthew trying to tell us? What's he calling our attention to? Apparently, he wants us to understand that Jesus wasn't just born to a royal family. He was born to a real family. That there are flawed and fallen people in his family tree that the blood of sinners flows through his veins, outsiders as well as insiders, and nobodies as well as somebodies. It turns out this isn't just Jesus' family tree. This is humanity's family tree. In fact, in Luke's version, he traces it all the way back to the Garden of Eden, to Adam and Eve. Matthew's telling us that we're all in it together. And Jesus is in it with us. And by the way, it's a mess, this family tree. 
Now, one of the best shows on TV today, I think I've mentioned it before, is the show entitled This Is Us. It's a family story. It tells the story of a family that, like every family, is both remarkable and ordinary. Jack and Rebecca Pearson have three children, and through a series of flash flashbacks and fast-forwards, we get to drop in on this family over the course of three different generations. And somehow, every storyline imaginable is woven into the, these three generations of the Pearson clan. There's birth, and there's depth, death, and there's adoption, and there's addiction, and there's sibling rivalry, and there's marital conflict, and there's racial tension, and there's terminal illness, and there are ruined thanksgivings. It's good storytelling. It really is. It's, most of it is honorable, and much of it is moving. In one episode, in one particular scene, the single uncle, Kevin, is babysitting for his two young nieces. He's not so good at it, and in, in the evening somewhere, he loses his cool with them. And so later on, he goes up to their bedroom to apologize and to try to explain this crazy family that they're all part of. So he shows them a painting that he made. It looks like a bunch of paint haphazardly splattered across the page. But then he kneels by the bed and begins to explain. He says to his nieces, it's kind of crazy, but a hundred years ago, a guy I never knew came to this country with nothing but a suitcase. And he had a son who had a son who had me. And then pointing to some of the colors and splotches on the painting, he says, and what if, what if this color here, this blue, what if this is my great-grandfather's life? And, and this yellow splash down here, what if that's my life? And what if this is you? And what if we're all in it together, this painting, all in the mix? It's a mess, he says, this painting, but, but it can be beautiful too. And then he says, this painting, this mess, is us. This is us. And that's not a bad way to look at family life, because it really can be a mess sometimes. People, personalities, life circumstances, problems colliding into one another on a daily basis, all colors and shapes crashing together. And it happens day after day and week after week and year after year and generation after generation until it's all layered on top of each other. And it can be complicated and it can be bewildering and it can break your heart sometimes. And Jesus' family tree bears that out and yours probably does too. But it can also be beautiful, especially when an artist is at work behind the scenes bringing the splashes of paint and color together to tell one beautiful story. And that's what we find here in Jesus' family tree. It's a mess. Deception, betrayal, idolatry, cruelty, tyranny, incest, adultery, murder. It's all here. The very worst of human behavior and relationships. And yet God is able to work in and through and in spite of these things to do something good in the world, to bring into the world his Son and our Savior. 
one who will be a savior for all people and all races and all classes and all nations and all sinners. It's really interesting. Most usually a family tree works this way with, with influence flowing downward. Life and blood flows this way to shape the lives of succeeding generations. But Jesus' family tree works in the opposite direction. His life and his blood flow upward and redeem everybody in the story so that scoundrels become saints and outsiders become insiders and nobodies become somebodies because Jesus is born into their family tree. The, the New Testament book of Hebrews offers some commentary on, on Jesus' entrance into human history and him becoming one of us, flesh and blood. The author writes, both the one who makes them holy, that's Jesus, and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, here am I and the children God has given me. They say you can't pick your family, but Jesus picked his, and he picked ours. He picked yours. He picked the human family. He chose to be born into this mess so that he could be with us in the mess, so that he could forgive us for the mess, so he could show us a way out of the mess and one day put the whole thing right again. And so he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Jesus is not ashamed to call you a brother or a sister with him. By his life and death and resurrection, he allows us to become sons and daughters of a living God. And what Jesus did for his earthly family, he can do for your family too. Whatever the history has been, whatever the mess looks like, he can do something good with it and even beautiful. And I'm sure some of you are saying right now, Pastor, not my family. <laughs> you don't know mess until you know my family. And it's true, I don't know your family. And I don't in any way want to minimize whatever pain or heartache you might have experienced in your family's life or might be experiencing even right now in this holiday season. I understand that. All I'm saying is that if Jesus can do something with this messed up family that we find in Matthew chapter 1, he can surely do something good and beautiful in your family as well, regardless of what's happened or how long it's been going on. We don't have time to tell all kinds of stories today, but we will in some of the Sundays to come. But this room right here, the room you're sitting in, your campus, your venue, it's filled with people whose lives and homes have been made better because Jesus has been born into their experience. There are marriages that have been restored. There are siblings that have been reconciled. Children who have been adopted. Families who have been blended. In-laws who have been welcomed generational sins that have finally been broken. 
wayward sons and daughters who have finally found their way home, hardened hearts who have finally softened to the good news of God. There are stories like that all around you. Now, I realize it doesn't always happen. People are still sinners, and sometimes family sins can be the most stubborn of all. But Christ has come, and he's willing to be born into your heart and into your home. And because of that, anything is possible. Anything is possible. Home is here now because Christ is here. So what do you do when home is messy? You let Jesus in. Because he knows all about messy. He comes from messy. And he can do good and beautiful and even eternal things with a mess. How do you do that? How do you welcome Christ into your family tree? Well, it begins with you personally, inviting him into your heart to be born in you, to admit for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, to admit that you're part of the mess, asking him to forgive you for your part of that mess and to begin showing you a better way to live. Begins by you asking him into your life. And once you've done that, now you can invite him into your home, into your extended family and all of those relationships. It might be as simple as beginning to pray for those family relationships. It might mean sitting at the dinner table and praying together as a family with and for each other. It might mean reading Bible stories to your children at bedtime. It might mean celebrating Advent each day, a passage of Scripture and a moment of reflection. Maybe it means that you make a commitment as a family to come to worship every Sunday in Advent, maybe every Sunday in the year to come. Make room for Him in your home. Once you've welcomed him into your heart, into your home, well, now you can begin inviting him into other people's homes because they are messed up too. And you can open your home to their home and let them see what Christ has done for you. And then you can tell them what Christ has done to you and you can invite them to join your church family as you talk together about what it means for home to be here this Christmas season. Home is here because Christ is here. And he's made room for you in his family tree. Scripture says, as many as received him, he gave the right to become sons and daughters of God. So home doesn't have to be the place where the pies and the relationships never change. Home doesn't have to be the place where you're always stuck at the kid's table, being who you've always been. Things can change. Families can change. You can change because Christ has come and home is here. Let's pray. Lord, at the beginning of this month and early in this season, we invite you into our Christmas experience. Maybe we've done that already. Maybe we need to do it intentionally right now. We thank you for the way your word speaks into the realities of our lives, the, the deep needs and longings of our hearts. Many of us are giving thanks right now for the families that you have blessed us with. Others of us are asking for your help in restoring the family that seems to be so fractured right now. And probably a little bit of both.
And so, Lord, we do invite you into this season, into our lives, into our homes, into our church family as well. That we might experience your forgiveness, your healing, your wholeness, and go out into the world to share this good news with others. We're grateful, Lord, that on this morning we have an opportunity to come together around your table. It's what families do. They gather around the table to break bread and to tell stories and to remember and look ahead. So meet us here in these moments, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.